Luke chapter 2. You know, one of my favorite parts of the holidays is the Charlie Brown Christmas show coming on, right? And this year, Lady Gaga had a special, a Christmas special. Anybody here watch that? Yeah, Bill? Did you watch Lady Gaga? No? Uh, <laughs> National Lampoons, that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, this year, Charlie Brown was on at the same time as Lady Gaga, and Charlie Brown won. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty excited about that. But there's a few scenes in the Charlie Brown Christmas that I really love, and really, you, you watch the whole thing to see those scenes in particular, and one of those scenes is the moment when they're practicing the play on stage, and Linus has his special speech. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Where Charlie Brown is frustrated and he screams out, which by the way, Charlie Brown is like my favorite cartoon character of all time. You know, the dude is so much, you know, like most of us, where he just wants the right thing to happen so bad, right? And it just never quite works out for him just right. And this is one of those moments. He wants to be the best director you know, that this little town has ever seen, and it's just not working out, and so he screams at the top of his lungs. Does anybody remember? Yes. Does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And Linus says, I know what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he stands in the middle of the stage, and I think he says, lights please, or something like that, right? And so the lights fade out, yeah. That, that little circle comes from nowhere of light, just, you know, from the sky, and it shines. And he begins to read, or quote, Luke chapter 2. Read that with me. And there were shepherds, I'm telling you, when I read this, I hear his voice. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told." You know, one of the few moments in a father's life that you will always remember is the moment that you get to announce your child for the first time, right? It's the moment for some of us, some of us who wait 
to find out whether or not they're having a boy or a girl until the birth. That's a big moment. You know, the dad gets to come out and the dad gets to say, you know, it's a boy or it's a girl. If you're like my wife and I, you couldn't wait. You had to find out right away. I had to make sure that it was not going to be a girl, that it was going to be a boy. I say that honestly. I mean, you can ask my wife. Isn't that right, honey? I prayed. I said, God, I have friends who are raising girls. I couldn't do that. <laughs> Please give me a boy. And he did. He knew I was being honest, and he did. But that moment where you get to walk out of the hotel room and you get to say, it's a boy, the first people that you tell are who? Hotel? Did I say hotel room? Hey, if Jesus can't be born in a barn... I don't know where hotel room came from. <laughs> hospital room. Hospital room. You know, I was just telling somebody. <laughs> no, it was us, wasn't it, Truly? We were talking this morning at breakfast with Holly. Like, I can't say one thing and get away with it. Everybody jumps on me. <clears throat> hospital room. But that moment is, is huge. And who are the first people you tell? You tell your family, you tell your friends. Well, nowadays, you Facebook it, right? You, you Skype it or Skype it, tweet it on Twitter, Twitter. You do all the things that you do. And, and so I was reading this, and to me, this is one of my, and I already said it's my favorite Charlie Brown moment, but really in Scripture, when it comes to the Christmas story, this is my favorite moment because it completely defines who God is. In, in this brief story. And what the people I want to share with you today are the shepherds. What was it about the shepherds that the one moment in all of Scripture that God got to proclaim that his baby was here, the one moment where God got to shout as loud as he could through those angels, the one moment he had, why was it that he appeared to shepherds in a field? What was it about those shepherds? Well, if we start learning about the shepherds, one of the few things that you know about shepherds right away when you study scriptures, the first thing is they stink. It's pretty obvious, right? Because they spend 24-7 with sheep. It's not like farmers that you think of today who build a house, and beside the house they build a barn, and on the other side of the barn is where they put the animals, right? It's not like that. Shepherds spent 24-7 with the sheep. They woke up in the morning with the sheep. They took them out. They helped them graze. They walked them from field to field. They took them down to the water. They brought them back. And when it became nighttime, guess what they did? They slept with the sheep. They protected the sheep. They were with them literally 24-7. They had no life. One of the reasons that most people believe that David was such an accomplished musician was because he was a shepherd. So guess what he did all day? He played his music, and he watched sheep. That's what they do. The second thing that you know about them because of this is that they have no influence, right? They can't walk into somewhere and somebody automatically go, oh, it's a shepherd, Right? The only influence they have are the animals that they take care of. And they do have great influence over them. 
You know, the Bible compares Jesus to being a shepherd for that specific reason. If a shepherd loses a sheep, guess what? He knows exactly which one is gone because he is with them all the time. The third thing that we know about shepherds is they're socially outcasted. They're socially outcasted. One of the theories that goes along with being a shepherd is that you never want to leave anything alone with them. They're not trustworthy. When people would find something missing, one of the sayings would be, it was probably a shepherd. Because shepherds were wanderers. They would go from one community to the next. Wherever the greenest grass was is where they would take their sheep. And so people didn't trust them because they would come onto their land and if things ever went missing, it had to be one of those shepherds. They were not even allowed to testify in anything legal because according to society, they lied. They weren't trustworthy. They were socially outcasted. Part of becoming a shepherd also meant religiously you were outcasted. You worshiped on your own. According to the law, you were defined as unclean, which meant you didn't get to go to the feasts. You didn't get to make the sacrifices. You weren't allowed to go to any of the special moments that all of your family would go to that defined your faith, that defined who you were. You were not allowed. I mean, let's be honest. You were the one that had to be at home working when everyone else got to go be religious. That was your job. That is your duty. That is your call. You not only have to come to the realization that your best friend will be those animals, but you have to understand that people will outcast you socially, religiously, and in every facet of your life. Your closest people are your family and those sheep and other shepherds. So why is it that God chose out of everyone in the world to scream about his new baby boy to them. You know, God has this peculiar way of choosing some peculiar people. If we study in Scripture, if we really start, we could go all the way back to Mr. Adam, who God created. And we can see some character issues right away with even him, that we're like, whoa, dude has issues right? But we can pick up many, many. You can go to Moses. What do we know about Moses? Moses was first reluctant, right? He was really insecure, and he had a speech impediment, right? For Moses, we can go to Gideon, who we just talked about a few weeks ago. What do we know about Gideon? We know about Gideon is nobody really knew who he was, and God made him the man, right? He didn't have any real authority, Nobody really feared Gideon. Amos, what we know about Amos? Amos was a herdsman, right? And the cool thing about Amos, which I love, is that Amos only dressed in sycamore leaves. It wasn't because that's only all he had available. Dude just thought that was cool, right? 
John the Baptist? What do we know about John the Baptist? What are the things that stick in your mind about John the Baptist? He ate bugs, right? Dude was a little off. He, he, he shopped weird too, right? He dressed a little weird too. Jesus comes, and what do we know about the men that he chose? He chose a tax man who nobody trusted. He chose fishermen who nobody wanted to be around because they were dumb, thick-headed, right? Peter, a little thick-headed. The one guy, this, this, is, this kind of struck me, the one guy that you would look at and you would say, this guy makes sense because this guy knew strategy, right? He knew how to strategize. This guy had a little bit of money. This guy, most of all, knew how to get resources. If Jesus ever needed anything, who did he call on? Judas. He was the guy, right? If Judas was in our church, he's the guy you'd put on the elder board right away. This dude's got it going on. But all those other guys were a little strange. All the other women God chose to work through, a little strange. Other things going on, some issues in their lives. The one thing that you find out about God as you walk through Scripture is that God's love is a little different than what we have made it out to be. Because what we have decided is those who are highest on the social ladder, those who read their Bible religiously on a daily basis, pray three or four times a day, those are the people who will be our leaders in the church. And if you are not like that, oh, you've got a lot of work to do. Because our love is different from God's love. What we choose to look at as something that is outstanding and wonderful and magnificent, God oftentimes looks at as something that needs to be smacked down a couple notches. And what we oftentimes look at as unworthy and unnecessary and, and not needed, God often looks at and says, I'm going to do a mighty thing with this. God's love knows no class. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. When God, who is the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you've done it right and commend you lavishly. And you who are younger must follow your leaders. But all of you, leaders and followers alike, are to be down to earth with each other. For God has had it with the proud, but takes delight in just plain people. So be content with who you are. Don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. God and his love do not know class. Yet we are so eager to get on the right level. To the point where oftentimes what we tend to do is destroy those ahead of us in our path so that we can justify the class that we have. Or we destroy ourselves 
in order to do the next thing, which is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. God knows no social standing. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. We destroy ourselves because we try to get to that next social class. I got friends, you got friends. We've all been through the same journey. I can sit here and tell you about debt that I've gotten myself and my wife into. I probably have 30 or 40 times. But the point is this, when you chase that next big thing, instead of being content with who God made you, you will never get there. You will fall deeper in debt. You will hurt yourself more. You will hurt those around you more. You will continue to chase and chase and chase because God has built you exactly the way he wants you. And you have got to learn to be happy with who you are. You've got to learn that God created you exactly the way he wanted you. He created you to be smart and beautiful in his eyes. Not in the people that we worry about looking smart and beautiful for. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. I love that. That's a good visual, isn't it? Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. Does this make any sense to you? In essence, what we find stinky is often because we are rotting. What God finds sweet are those who are on the path to resurrection. I love this verse because to me this says, God doesn't know stinky. One of the things we pointed out about the shepherds was what? For 24-7 they slept with sheep. They smelled like sheep. And to everyone around them, they stunk. Oftentimes in our lives, when we proclaim the gospel, when we stand forth as a Christian, when we are boastful about our faith and what God has done for us, to those around you, you stink. And you get that look, that stinky look, like when you drive through a skunk spray and everybody in the car goes, what? And you know instantly what it is. That's the look you get. But to those who are around you, who are on the same path as you, when you talk about those moments, it's a sweet, sweet smell. I can go back to our testimony videos that we have. I get emails all the time. I need to bring them in and shoot some of them up here so you guys can see them, of people who have seen those videos, and to them, it is a sweet, sweet smell. God knows sweet smells. 
1 John 4, 10. God's love isn't influenced by influence. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Do you understand what this means? God's not impressed by you. You need to be impressed by God. God's not impressed by you. Your level of influence, the higher, the more power that you get, the more religious you are, you don't impress God, but you better be impressed by Him. God's love is not influenced by influence. And finally, God's love isn't moved by your level of tradition or sacrifice, Romans 5.8. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. These are hard things to read. These are hard things to read because what this is going to force you to do is to put your faith in perspective. Because what God wants from you is for you to be like a shepherd. That's what all these things are saying. What you need to understand is it's not your love for God that's important. It's God's love for you. We have puffed our way into the Christmas story. We have somehow made the Christmas story all about us. And what God did on this special, magnificent moment in this field with those shepherds is for a brief moment, God said, I'm going to come here because on this moment, I get the glory. Look what the shepherds did. The shepherds in the scripture Go back, and right away they say, listen, um, these angels, they were for real. You saw them, right? I mean, it wasn't just me, and they were all like, yeah, we saw them. Let's go see what this Mary and this baby's all about. So they go, the Bible tells us, right away. They run, and they go. Here's my favorite part. Do you know what they do after they see the baby and after they worship for a little bit? What Scripture tell us that they do? Anybody? They leave. Do you know where they go? They go tell people. This is the cool part. They go tell people about what just happened. They go tell people about what they just experienced, what God had just done. They go tell people about how great God is. And you know what the Bible says that those people do? Those people go, whoa! Right? And then they go back and they begin to worship. And what does the Bible say about Mary? Mary does what? 
Mary takes those things that she hears that those shepherds are doing and what the community is saying, and she ponders them in her heart. What's that mean? What that means is you still had in this moment this young woman who had a child who the world had condemned, who in just a brief moment, in just a couple of years, was going to be chased out of town by a king who wanted that baby dead. She had a lot on her. She had a whole world around her that had just changed. And there was a lot on her heart. And God presented himself to these stinky, useless, outcasted shepherds who ran to this village and for a brief moment worshipped that baby, told that community, and changed everything around her. And what scripture tells us is Mary pondered those things. For a moment, Mary thought about those shepherds and the sacrifice that those shepherds were making and the community changing around her. And I can just imagine and I suggest to you that the reason that's in there is because for a brief moment, what these shepherds were able to do is give Mary a moment to breathe and to understand just briefly what just happened what this crazy train ride led to. Because these shepherds just came in and said, this is the Son of God again. Reaffirmed her. Reacknowledged what had been told. God will use you when you figure out that it's not about you. God will use you when you figure out it's not about you. God used Moses when Moses figured out it wasn't about Moses. Moses sat there that whole time. I can't do it. I won't do it. You know me. I'm not good enough. I'm not cute enough. I can't talk well enough. And Moses realized pretty quick it wasn't about him. It was about what God was going to do. And God will use you when you realize it's not about you. Will you stand with me? One of the coolest moments to me in this story is that moment when God begins to receive all of the glory in that community. Because what we oftentimes do when we tell the Christmas story is our Christmas story stops with the shepherds and our Christmas story stops with the wise men who come a couple years later and, and you know we tell all these things and, and one of the things that we don't ever speak about is that community and what was going on at the moment that this all happened and one of the things that you have to understand and you have to be well aware of is that this wasn't a secret this wasn't just a little family inside this little manger who had this really magical moment and then a bunch of people wrote about it years later and then we all get to hear about it. This was a moment that happened inside of that community and that entire community was touched and that entire community glorified God because of what? Because of what a few shepherds did. That's the truth. That's what we miss. Do you think Herod was really all that scared of one little baby? Or do you think he was scared because an entire community was beginning to worship? God will use you 
when you realize that it's not about you. God will do mighty things when you realize it's not about you. These shepherds had no fear of thinking that any of this was about them. And like everything else in Scripture and everything else in our lives, God choosing that moment to send those angels to sing those songs and blow those trumpets was perfect. What we think is strange that God would approach these lowly men with no influence, completely outcasted, God knew was perfect. So what I challenge you to do is this. Our social media moment of the week, I challenge you to blow your trumpet. I challenge you this Christmas season to realize this, that there is nothing going on in this holiday season that shouldn't give glory to God. Everything we do should give glory to God. Every gift you give should give glory to God. Get rid of all the selfish ambition. Get rid of having to give the best and be the best to be on the right social class and everything else this Christmas season. But give because you love. Love because God has first loved you. Spread the message. Be loud and proud of your faith and of who you follow. Give God the glory and he'll use you in a mighty way, maybe even in your family this holiday season. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the gift of your son and the knowledge, Lord, that 30-some years later he would be sacrificed for our sins. God, I thank you that in that moment you chose simple men. I thank you, God, that still today you choose simple men and women. Father, I pray that you use us this holiday season and beyond, Father, that you use this church as an instrument for you. That, God, you'll keep us humble. That, God, you'll keep us faithful. And that most of all, God, everything we do, Father, that it may glorify you, not ourselves, not this church, but you. Everything we do, Father, may it glorify you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.